This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, it's your host, Carter. I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. Kids who are under the age of 13 might find some parts of our show a little bit scary, so listener discretion is advised. Now, enjoy the show. <sighs> oh, it's hellfire out there. Maggie, are you resting? Father? Father? Was that you? <gasps> Maggie, come quick! Father's dead! Someone came in and killed him! Lizzie? Please come quick! Lizzie, what is it? Get the police! Oh God, someone was in the house. Get the police! Where is Mrs. Borden? Mrs. Borden, Mrs. Borden! Upstairs! I heard her come back and head upstairs. Mrs. Borden, please answer me! Maggie, what is it? She's on the floor, she's... Get the police, now! If someone is in this house, you had better leave now. I, I have a gun, father's gun, and I assure you, I am not afraid to use it. You've heard the famous rhyme. Lizzie, the police are here. In here. Why don't you step into the other room, miss? You might have recited it as a game when you were children. Lizzie, come away with me, please. You shouldn't be seeing this. What happened to them? Miss, please. What are those cuts? Are, the, are those axe marks? Please, get her out of here. Come on now, we'll sit in the parlor. I'll, I'll make you tea. Yes, I'll make some tea. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. Fall River, Massachusetts, about 50 miles outside of Boston, was known as a textile juggernaut and boomtown in the late 1800s. But on August 4th, 1892, it became infamous for a bloody act of violence that became an American folktale. The female has 19 blows to the back of the head. How many would have killed her? Oh, one will do. And the man? I counted 10 blows, though perhaps there were 11. It's more difficult to tell on this one. Can you report if they struggled? Do you see the side? Yes. It's split. He was staring straight ahead as the hatchet came down. It would suggest he was asleep for the attack. Though significantly less than the 40 wax the Portons became famous for, the brutality of the murders nevertheless shocked Fall River, and people scrambled for answers. Almost immediately, the police zeroed in on their prime suspect, the Borden's 32-year-old daughter, Lizzie. In a trial that would rock the entire country, 
Investigators and jurors would have to grapple with their preconceived notions about murder and a woman's capability for it. And so we'll follow their footsteps to try and understand why a dependent daughter in proper New England would grab a hatchet and carve her way into history with blood and brute force. Or see if Lizzie Borden was the victim of the misogyny and prejudices of the time. This is episode number 24 of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, and episode number one of our investigation into Lizzie Borden and the infamous Hatchet Murders. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders or hear our investigations into other cases, you can find them all on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also listen on our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. And now, back to our sleepy Massachusetts town. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before which root and art evermore shalt be. Lizzie Borden and her sister Emma were raised in a deeply religious household, under the thumb of their very wealthy, very stern father, Andrew. The Borden sisters lost their mother, Sarah, in 1863 and welcomed their stepmother, Abby, three years after. Welcomed, however, may be too positive a word for their reaction. Mrs. Borden is running a bit behind. We should just eat now. You're going to upset father. Then perhaps we'll all learn a lesson in punctuality. Come, Emmy, I'm starving. Just this once. Of course. Maggie, you'll prepare us plates, won't you? Though she never gossiped, Lizzie held no love for her stepmother, Abby. And she refused to call her any variation of the word mother, instead referring to her in all situations as Mrs. Borden. Abby wasn't the only member of the household who Lizzie refused to call by her real name. It smells delicious as always, Maggie. Thank you, miss. Though frugal, Andrew did employ servants to attend to the house. Bridget Sullivan acted as the Borden's live-in maid in the lead-up to the murders, but Lizzie insisted on calling her Maggie. Maggie, could you come here, please? Which was the name of a former maid who had left the Borden house seven years before. Dinner is served, Miss Lizzie, Miss Emma. Thank you, Bridget. Yes, thank you. Will that be all? Stay, won't you? Lizzie. Stay. I'd like to ask you a question. Don't look so scared. I'd just like to know if Father has said anything about the request Mrs. Borden asked of him. Oh, Miss, I shouldn't gossip. No, you aren't. That's very good of you, Maggie, but it isn't gossip if I've asked you a question. I really couldn't say. You're certain you haven't heard anything? Quite. Thank you, Bridget. That'll be all. Lizzie became convinced Abby only married her father for his fortune, and her suspicions deepened when Andrew gifted her maternal aunt a house. The sisters did not appreciate the grand gesture. Father, how could you give that woman a house when you won't even discuss it with us? I'm sure what I choose to do with my own money is my concern alone. And I'm sure you didn't mean to take that tone with me. 
She isn't family. Father, well, if he meant... I said exactly what I meant. Please. <sighs> Lizzie and I have spoken, and we agree that if other members of this family are to be given houses, we respectfully ask for our own. Oh, you want a house? Yes, we want what's ours. The headstrong sisters gambled and demanded their own property, and, shockingly, it paid off. Andrew sold them their childhood home for a dollar, proving a tantrum always works. Though Lizzie and Emma got what they wanted, the sisters still openly resented Abby's presence in their lives, and the feeling, it appeared, was mutual. I saw Trevor fishing with his father. You should have seen the trout he caught. I'm sure his father was the one who actually caught it. Trevor is a braggart. He's handsome. He's not. And lust is a sin, Emma. I thought you fancied Trevor. I did before I spoke with him. His voice can be a bit irritating, but... Emma. Lizzie. Mother. Mrs. Borden. I thought your father told you to mop the floor. We did, Mrs. Borden. Oh, you did, I see. Yet, I see dust here. And here, and oh, look, even over here. But that... Don't Backtalk me, Lizzie. I'm your mother. You are not. I'd spank you myself, but I'd prefer to wait for your father so he can do it properly. Now go to your room. Emma, finish up the dusting and mopping. And no more idle chit-chat until chores are actually complete. It almost sounds like Hansel and Gretel. An evil stepmother comes into a family to torture two siblings. But remember, the Borden sisters were full-grown women. Where is she? I told her to go to her room. Lord, have mercy on her if she's not up there. Lizzie, are you back-talking and disrespecting your mother? She is not our mother. Turn around. No, Father, I won't. I am your father. Now do as I say. I'm sorry, Father. I... Ow! <laughs> but that's how the sisters felt. I'm sorry, Lizzie. I should have spoken up when she was yelling at you. Don't worry, Emmy. She'll be judged. Be calm. I know this may be a sin, but I hate her. I hate her so. We know why she's here. It's also a sin to gossip and spread rumors. We should not. What she's doing is a sin. Her every Shh. action is a sin. It's all right. It will be all right. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now our story continues. Despite their hatred, Lizzie and Emma lived with their father and stepmother well into their 30s. Neither married or had families of their own. At the time, to be that age and unmarried, still living with their father and stepmother, the women were considered spinsters who had missed their shot at families of their own. By this point, they felt a loyalty to their father and his business. Meanwhile, the sisters' dislike for their stepmother only increased as they grew up. Their bond, however, became ever closer. Andrew Borden earned his wealth not only in manufacturing, but also success in real estate development. 
They had a vested interest in their father's money and where it went, which only fueled their suspicion that Abby was after his money. Though the brunt of the sisters' disdain was aimed at their stepmother, their father wasn't the most loving or doting. Andrew Borden was immensely wealthy, but was frugal to a fault. The Borden household didn't contain basic amenities, like indoor plumbing. His tight-fistedness extended naturally to his business dealings. By the time of the murder, he had made himself the head of Fall River's biggest bank and was also a prominent property owner. Roger, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to meet. Of course, Mr. Borden. Now, what, pray tell, did you want to meet about? I couldn't help but notice how well your property on Adams Boulevard has been doing. Yes, sir. It took... A while to get off the ground, but steady hands and a prayerful heart have brought the place to where it is today. Fantastic. And the tenants? You couldn't ask for a more wholesome and trustworthy collection of people. Then all is as I hoped. I'll be purchasing this property, Roger. (laughs) That's very flattering, sir. But I'm afraid it's not for sale. Is that so? Yes. It's my hard work that made it what it is, and I'd like to continue to see it grow. I can appreciate your tenacity. I regret to inform you that you are incorrect about the property not being for sale. Excuse me? The property is still owned by Union Savings Bank, not by yourself. The mortgage is... You needn't explain to me, Roger. I know all about the mortgage. I also know that I already purchased this property. Out of a courtesy to you and the work you've done there, I'll give you to the end of the week to inform the tenants. You... You can't do that! The moves Andrew Borden made to acquire and keep his wealth also made him a fair share of enemies. He was easily one of the least liked people in Fall River. He was also among the wealthiest, with a net worth of about $450,000. Which is equivalent to $10 million today. His frugality and shady business dealings certainly made him a possible target to many in the town. But there was also trouble enough in his own home, with the relationship between his daughters and his wife growing ever worse. Busy! Emma, come to the table! Andrew, darling, it's only going to be hot a short while more. I know. They're on their way. I'm surprised they didn't smell it and come running without me telling them it was ready. (laughs) Andrew, you are too sweet. (laughs) I'm only speaking the truth to you, Abby. Thank you for making duck, Mrs. Borden. Where's your sister? She's feeling ill. I think she has the flu. She's taken to bed. Again? That girl is ill more than she's healthy. This wasn't actually true. The only thing Lizzie was sick of was her stepmother. She would often skip meals to avoid seeing Abby as much as possible. And she also kept herself busy and away on weekends. Now, you all have played with clay before, yes? Please, children, keep it down. Simply raise your hands. Much better. Now, that's what I thought. And as you all know, at first you can mold clay like this make it into any shape. You could make a bowl or a cup or really anything you want, and if you don't like the shape, you can change it. But what happens if you forget about your clay and leave it be? Someone raising their hands? Yes, Margaret? It gets hard. Correct. It gets dry and hard and nearly impossible to reshape. Now the prophet Isaiah says this was the state of God's people at the time. Lizzie taught Sunday school classes at Central Congregational Church, whose sermons she also attended regularly. In addition, she kept herself heavily involved in the Christian Endeavor Society and the Women's Christian Temperance Union, an organization against the consumption of alcohol. 
Despite this heavy involvement in her faith, within 24 hours before the murders, Lizzie Borden engaged in what most anyone would consider rather ungodly behavior. Ah, Miss Borden. Good morning, Francis. Haven't seen you in the shop for a while. Maggie tends to do most of the grocery shopping these days. I'm hardly even home. So I've seen. I've uh, been meaning to make it to church more, just, uh, well... Oh, it's okay, Francis. You needn't feel guilty in front of me. Well, thank you kindly. But I mean it. I will be back. I'm happy to hear it, but more importantly, the Lord is happy to hear it. So what can I get for you? Well, I will take five pounds of russet potatoes, please. And then the other item I'm looking for isn't out here. Oh, uh, what is it? It's a chemical compound. Looking to do some science experiments? Yes, in fact, I am. Well, I may not be a laboratory supplier, but I'll see what I can do. Do you know the name of the thing you're looking for? Yes, yes, I believe so. It's called prussic acid. Uh, Oh, oh my. Do you have any? Miss Borden... I don't know if you're aware, but prussic acid, that's nothing to trifle with. I'll be extremely careful. If you come back in with your father, I could maybe sell it, but... I'm a grown woman myself. Yes, yes, I know. I'm aware, but still... Father doesn't approve of my scientific studies. (sighs) I'm sorry, Miss Borden, but I cannot in good conscience sell it to you. What, pray tell, is prussic acid? It's a chemical compound that is today known as hydrogen cyanide. Cyanide is one of the most lethal substances. Minuscule amounts can lead to quick but agonizing death. People who have ingested cyanide will feel extreme nausea, dizziness, and confusion. This is followed by a loss of coordination, rapid deep breathing, and gasping. Finally, followed by muscle spasms and loss of consciousness. Cyanide, or prussic acid, did have practical uses, of course. It's used in preserving furs, for example. But Lizzie Borden wasn't known to be a furrier, and the timing of her attempt to purchase the prussic acid was conspicuous. Less than 24 hours later, her father and stepmother would be brutally murdered. Is this mutton again? Yes, sir. Is everyone enjoying their supper? Yes, father. Yes, father. It's wonderful, Bridget. Thank you. But first, the family fell brutally ill. (coughs) Lizzie, again? (coughs) Check on Mrs. Borden. Bridget is tending to Mother. Uh, Hold my hair, please, please. (coughs) Food poisoning is the most common suspect in the mysterious (coughs) illness. But being a fabulously wealthy family, the Bordens had an icebox. They most likely would have preserved their food in the cold. Are you feeling well, Mother? Yes. Emma, thank you. I'm just a bit tired. Sleep. How's your father? He's well. Perhaps a bit weak. Emma, throw the stool away. Please, throw all of it away. I have. It was poisoned. What? We were poisoned. All of us. Abby Borden, aware of Andrew's poor standing in the community, became convinced that the family had been covertly poisoned. In an already tense household, the accusation and suspicion did nothing to calm anyone down. And in fact, compounded old hurts. Months before the alleged poisoning, Andrew dealt Lizzie a cruel blow in a casual act of heartlessness. Hello, darlings. Are we doing well today? (laughs) Oh, you're beauties. A flock of pigeons had made a roost in the Borden's barn, and Lizzie took a liking to them immediately. She loved caring for them, but Andrew feared the birds would encourage young trespassers to sneak onto their property. Uh, Shh! 
Father, stop it! So he massacred Lizzie's birds with a hatchet. <laughs> Maybe we'll finally have some peace and quiet. No more of those little hooligans coming around with their pellet guns. Don't be upset. They're filthy beasts, those birds. I don't want you catching something from them. Why would you do this? They were mine. The barn is mine. I had to do what was best. Lizzie was inconsolable with the loss of her pets and her father's callousness. She and Emma went traveling after the explosive fight, staying away from the house for long stretches of time. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to Unsolved Murders. The sisters arrived back home one week before Abby and Andrew were axed to death. And only a few days before the house fell deathly ill. And Lizzie did everything in her power to look as guilty as possible. Something's not right with the girl. How so? Your family is hacked to bits. The killer's been in your house and you could have easily been next. And? And she hasn't cried once. She's stoic as a nun. Mm, maybe the shock of it? It's not right. It was a mix between reasonable suspicion and old-fashioned misogyny. The police expected Lizzie to behave accordingly, which meant fainting and hysterics. Instead, she was... Uh... Matter of fact. I heard a groan. And this was when you entered the house? Yes. And you became concerned? Yes. I was worried someone was hurt. But you didn't call for help? No. Why? It didn't alarm me. No. No, you said it did alarm you. That's why you checked on your father. It was a groan. A, a tiny one, really. Or perhaps a scraping sound. It could have been anything. But you said... It all happened so fast. Lizzie's version of events was wildly inconsistent. Where was your stepmother? Mrs. Borden received a note. Her dear friend Catherine is very sick. She went to call on her. How long was she away? I'm not sure. You don't remember? I was in the barn, sir. And this is where Lizzie ran into her first real bit of trouble. Maggie, there's a wonderful sale in town. Why don't you go? I'm sure you could find a lovely dress. That's kind of you, miss, but I think I'll stay here. Aren't you feeling well? I'm a little fatigued, miss, but I'll be right as rain soon. Well, if you're not well, lay down. Oh, no, I couldn't. Nonsense. Father won't mind. And if he does, I'll explain it. I shouldn't. I insist. Well, perhaps for a moment only. That's a girl. You'll be feeling better in no time. I'll be just upstairs if you need me. Please ring me for anything. I'll be in the barn. I need a bit of tin for that blasted door. Lizzie told Bridget and the police that she was poking around in the barn during the murders and decided to indulge in a moment of leisure. I sat in the loft. I brought a few pears with me and had a nice snack. How long were you in the barn? 20 minutes, perhaps 30. In the loft all that time? Yes, sir. As mentioned earlier, Mr. Borden was an incredibly frugal man who didn't believe in luxuries like indoor plumbing or insulation and cooling. The loft was excruciatingly hot in the summer, and so the police found it hard to believe that Lizzie would spend upwards of half an hour inside. So they searched the barn. Anything? Nothing. What about above? It's dusty, but no tread marks. There was no evidence Lizzie had been in the loft that day, raising yet another red flag for a police force that already disliked her. But despite her oddities, the inconsistencies in her story, and her emotionless facade, her room and person were never properly searched. She was officially named as a suspect, but that didn't affect much of anything in her daily life before the case went to trial. <sighs> what I wouldn't do for some coffee. 
Lizzie? Good morning, Alice. You're up early. I had trouble sleeping. Family friend to the Bordens, Alice Russell, stayed over with Lizzie and Emma after the murders to comfort them. She awoke early the morning after Lizzie was formally named a suspect to find her burning a dress in the stove. Oh, but that's a lovely dress. Surely you don't want to... It's covered in paint. Silly me, I knocked over a can and it splashed all over me. And there's no way to lift the stains? I've tried. It's a shame. I loved that dress. There's no denying Lizzie did herself no favors burning the dress. You would assume that it's a clear admission of guilt, wouldn't you? But no one could ever conclusively decide if the burned dress was, indeed, the dress she was wearing the day her parents were murdered. If she wasn't burning it to rid herself of blood-stained evidence, perhaps she really did just have a clumsy accident. But why not dispose of it before? Why the morning after a life-altering indictment? Maggie should be up soon. Why don't I make us some tea before she whips us up some breakfast? Ah, that sounds wonderful. Thank you. Why the secrecy when she knew it would only make the police distrust her more? Self-preservation did not appear to be Lizzie's strong suit, and it would only get worse once the case actually went to trial. Whether a mix of nerves, guilt, or heavy medication, she was erratic, manic, and unable to keep her story straight. It seems open and shut, doesn't it? Well... Not quite. When the police built their case against Lizzie, they ran into inconsistency after inconsistency, even within their own timeline of the murders. The only thing they could agree on is that someone wanted the wealthy Bordens dead and were willing to hack them to bits to do it. Regardless, they seemed intent on punishing Lizzie for subverting their expectations of what a daughter should be. And they used every trick to try and force her into a confession, but Lizzie repeatedly proclaimed her innocence. Was Lizzie a cunning mastermind? Or was she an unlucky woman in the wrong place at the wrong time? We'll save that for next week. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Or through our website, parcast.com. Again, that's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. Join the conversation on our ParCast Facebook page. You can tweet us at ParCast Network, all one word. Oh, we thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us again. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends. Well, new episodes come out every Tuesday. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. We'll see you next time. If we don't get whacked by next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro with production assistance by Joel Stein, and written by Samantha Gurosh and Kenneth Martin. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKinsey. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Z. Cruz, Kimberly Holland, Janice Liebhart, Nicholas Massu, Manu Narayan, Stephen Pinto, and Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>